As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and the successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Tim Dawson, current co-founder at Witchbeam, so join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Tim. How are you? Uh, good, good. Good to hear. It's it's a busy time at the beginning of the year. There's always lots going on. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that you're coming on the show to chat to me today. Uh, no worries. Yeah, it's uh, I was kind of coming coming back off the holidays and, and trying to get back into a work mindset. It can be difficult, right? Um, I mean, I do this every episode and I keep apologising to the audience. I am a teacher uh, professionally. Um, so my, my break's a little bit longer. I've still got a few more weeks up my sleeve, but it just it, it never gets any easier coming back. It's always a, a really hard pivot back into, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm back to you know nine to five style hours again here. What, what is this? How do I do this again? How do I adjust to these lunch breaks? What? <laughs> All that sort of stuff gets really messy. So yeah, I can, I can relate to, to that hard pivot. Uh, this is Dev Diary, a series we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. Now, Tim, as listeners will be aware, we've had Sonatan on the show in the past. We've had Ren just gradually working the way through the studio. But it's fantastic to have you on, and I'm, I'm keen to, to pick your brain about this journey that you've been on so far. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm the oldest of the, those three, so had the longest industry experience <laughs> and i mean what what i've noticed as i was as i was kind of picking through and collecting some notes for today and then reflecting on uh both of the others that yes there's there's that little bit of extra experience and yes you've all kind of worked together on the same things but there's still some little differences early on which is really really fascinating as well so um it's it's kind of great to see how things intersect and then and then uh kind of split at various t- stages but before we get to all of that I wanted to reflect on some of your first gaming experiences. Do you recall what the first game was that you ever played or what some of the first games were that you ever played? Ooh, so I think like uh, early on, um, my, my dad had uh, kind of computers in the house uh, from early on because he worked in IT yep. mostly. And um, But the, the first kind of gaming experience I really remember is like the on the Apple IIc. Um, oh yeah, okay. And like uh, kind of monochrome, green monochrome games. Um, I remember yep. playing like uh, uh, Bard's Tale. Um, oh, good starting point. <laughs> and uh, there was this there was this uh, game called Black Magic that was like a, a platformer where you had to like shoot arrows and you were and you were constantly losing health, so you had to eat food to. No, that one doesn't ring any bells. Up. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with that it was a, it was an odd one. It was uh, I remember playing it a lot as a kid and not really understanding it. It was uh, so. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of lot of lot of games from that era. That was my was my starting point. They're, they're the ones I remember clearest. Look, I mean, I've I've felt pretty good over the journey because there's the, like a lot of people have thrown different games as their starting point or among their among their starting uh, their first few games, and and I feel like I've done a pretty good job to be like, oh yeah, actually I've I've played that a little bit, or at least I'm familiar <laughs> with that one. You've you've really caught me on the hop with that one. That second, uh, that's obviously Bard's Tale. I'm quite familiar with, but that second one there, I'm not. No, that's not one that I'd come across before. So you've got me doing some research after the show now. I think. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember who published it. It was like uh, Borderbound, a uh, Borderbund or something like. The, right. Okay. It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah, it's just completely uh, missed it somewhere along the somewhere along the road. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing some research after this. As you grew up, were there any favorite games or franchises or you know genres that you really found yourself attaching to or aligning with? Uh, so I mean, like I found it was interesting, right? Because um, when I was growing up, I had I was, had access to computers, so I was playing a lot of shareware games. Yep. Um, I actually had a subscription to a BBS. Um, <laughs> All right, okay. Back in the day, so I could get the you know download the latest uh, um, Apogee and uh, Apogee and um, Epic releases. <laughs> and stuff but uh so i just play kind of anything i could get my hands on um, we do what we gotta I, do right yeah yeah and then as i got a bit older i found myself drawn a lot to um like kind of the more frantic arcade uh sega stuff right yep. so this is um and uh yeah like a lot of like i loved a lot of like really the kind of um yeah a lot of the dreamcast era stuff was really my jam right like it was <laughs> i mean there's some great stuff in that window yeah yeah so like a lot of kind of connect, uh, i love stuff like uh, virtual and things yep. like that that kind of really managed to to scratch an inch where it's that kind of furious kind of high speed yeah it's quite intense strategizing yeah um oh, fantastic choices any any particular favorites over the journey there things that still stick with you <laughs> i remember being a huge fan of final fight when it came out that was oh, yeah, like okay. my favorite arcade game for a while um and then yeah like uh yeah, just like the first Virtron was a high point. Um, Crazy Taxi, that kind of stuff. I don't know. Oh, it's like fantastic it's choices. The... <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I played a lot of stuff though. That's that's the thing. Like I, I wasn't I even a Sega kid growing up, but I, I have to appreciate those. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, Panzer Dragoon. Um, oh yeah, I love that whole se- series. Oh, you're hitting all the right boxes here. That, that, there's, <laughs> there's some fantastic choices. Do you really identify a game or maybe even a collection of them that? that helped guide you towards actually getting into game development yourself or was it was it some other moment that kind of swayed you towards actually pursuing development versus purely consumption of games so i remember and, and i always find this kind of interesting right when when like how how people have this thought but i i don't know if i was just like um what it says about me as a kid but i just remember thinking at one point there's like human beings must make these things oh yeah okay i'm i want to be one of those human beings why not and um you know that's there's a there's a degree of privilege in that to be like i'm presumably i presumably fit into this category but i I remember from like in high school i I had a pretty much a straight line towards like i'm gonna work in games it wasn't even really a a like i didn't know how i was gonna do it because there wasn't really pathways at that time the uh, indie indie space didn't really exist there was like one games company in adelaide so um still that that laser (laughs) focus is is fantastic i mean Oh, damn it, I'm going back to the teaching thing again. Like I, I see a couple kids that are that are like that, regardless of whatever profession it is they might want to get into, where they do from a very, very early point. The, I mean, I don't teach Year 7s all that often, but there's a group that's passing through our school at the moment that I did happen to have as Year 7s, and there's about four or five that I that I actually taught through that time that I, I bumped into for the first time in a few years last year, and they have not wavered in what it is they've, they said they wanted to do when I first had a chat to them as Year 7s, and that's, that's really quite impressive and presumably at this point they might go down that path so it's great to hear you were similarly sort of minded where you had this okay games is games is for me at whatever point that first kind of popped into your head but then you've just had this laser-like focus in achieving that and again as you said you didn't know how you were going to do it but i'll find a way and 
I mean, you said privilege. I, don't, I, I think it's just. I think it's just more of a. It's a. It's a quality thing. Like there's that. There's a tenacity there. There's an intensity. There's a desire that you'll just will yourself there. It doesn't. It, I think it's fantastic personally. Hmm. And I had like when I like because I mentioned the Apple IIc. Um, that was also the first computer I started programming on. My dad was yeah. teaching me some like basic programming back in the day. Uh, I remember he was telling, <laughs> told me how like when I when I first when he first started trying to teach me like some hello world kind of uh, intro stuff, um, and all I wanted to do was like make ro- robots move around on the screen, and he ended up kind of getting frustrated and like leaving it for a few <laughs> years before he came back to it. And it's like wow, that draws a straight line between that and cactus. That's kind of funny, but um, got there in the end. Um, but yeah, so I've always had this kind of tinkering kind of attitude of making stuff with whatever I had available. So no, that's yeah. that's great to hear. Was there so obviously you've had this as as you said that that focus on getting into games, but did it ever go off the rails at any point before? So I've got a whole host of credits from starting at <laughs> Rap Bag all the way through the current day. But before we got to that point, did it ever kind of look like that may not have worked out for you? I mean, you obviously spoke about how you didn't know what or how you could even get into the industry in the first place. Obviously, I assume at points you might have had little part-time jobs and those sort of things to, to get a little bit of money coming in the door before you were potentially uh, able to leave school or anything like that. Um, was there a point where maybe maybe the pursuit of games wasn't actually on the cards? I mean, it's like... So so after, after high school, I, I started uh, doing a uh, visual arts degree in um, at uh, UniSA. Yeah. Um, and I actually bailed out of that after a year because I started getting, like, I was really enjoying it. And I was, you know, I was doing, I was doing, doing well in it, but it was very much a, um, a traditional, um, physical media based, All right, okay. um, degree. And I started getting like really paranoid that like, I wasn't doing anything kind of computer related. Like, I think they had a, a Photoshop elective and it was super basic. And I was like, oh no, like I'm, I'm, I'm squandering somehow this, is, yeah. this feels wrong. Yeah. And so I actually, like, after a year, I, I, I went to a computer science degree. So I kind of flipped to the other side. Yeah. And I struggled in, in some subjects. And after a year of that, I actually ended up taking a job uh, in uh, web development. Right. Because um, I happened to be offered a position at a company being, like, the in-house web development. Um, <laughs> and it was really interesting because, like, you know, it was still software development. So it was like it always felt like I was running parallel to where I wanted to be, which to me felt like progress. Like I felt like it's arrogant to assume that you're just going to walk in and go like one games job, please. But like, I don't want to work in retail. I want to work on something that's at least adjacent to, to like, I'm still creating, I'm still creating assets. I'm still some transferable skills. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed really, it felt, like it didn't feel like a step back it just felt like i was kind of running in parallel until i could sort myself out <laughs> no that, that that makes a lot of sense um and how long did you stick at that for in the end before finally the opportunity started to emerge i'm trying to remember actually like um yeah i remember i remember it ended, it ended up like the kind of work ended up drying up and after that i did a, a 3d course that helped like a, it was a industry it was like a five-month industry focused 3d course that ended up being really useful for getting my portfolio and stuff and that's that's how, after that i applied to Ratbag, and that's that's kind of when things started <laughs> oh fantastic well it's, it's nice when these things work out and again i mean we spoke about some transferable skills and it looks like you've then taken initiative to to plug a few gaps in terms of the 3d component you were just talking about there there's it seems like a few stars aligned for you it's fantastic to hear so Ratbag was that first opportunity 
How did that go? How did you adjust to actually being inside the industry and, and all that comes with it? <laughs> so that was, that, was, that was pretty interesting. I remember because I mentioned that the, the industry course and like it was this five month really focused 3D course. And, um, uh, and I was like, it was, it was an interesting class because like I was at that point, I was in the right headspace to really kind of uh, excel in that. Like I was, I was, I was not there to kind of be taught stuff. I was there to consume anything I could get my hands on. Yep. And there was like me and a couple of other people who were like competing with each other, trying to like, you know, <laughs> outdo the, the lesson plans and, and, ex, you know, exceed the, the requirements. And, and because this is all, yeah, and this is all post uni. So like we're hanging out with the, uh, the, the teacher afterwards with uh, getting beers and stuff like that. So like there was a few of us that were definitely like aiming higher than the, the rest of the class. Like some, some of them definitely had that kind of high school attitude where they were just like, Oh, I'm here to do the things. And it's like, no, 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 I'm here to, I'm here to kick ass and the old uh, D's make degrees mentality that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so like in the end, I was the only person in that class that actually got uh, hired at Ratbag. Um, Cause you know, yep. obviously a lot of people were looking into games. So it was, it was not a, and I got, I got offered a position. I wanted to be a character modeler. That's, that was what I decided okay. to be. I was going to, I was going to model characters. That's what my passion is. I'm gonna, and I got offered a position as a junior cinematic animator. Um, <laughs> Gotta start somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Hell yes, I'm an animator." Uh, I think they were like, "We need you to do like a, a skin weighting test." I'm like, "I can do that. Like, this will be the best skin weighting I've ever done in my life." Because you know, I'm hungry for this kind of thing. And the I think the big the big uh, insight for me was when after I joined Ratbag, I realized that basically they'd taken this this kind of uh, this chance on me. Like, I wasn't. It wasn't that I like I wasn't qualified to kind of work in games at this point, but they probably just saw that there was a, a, a kind of potential, like they were hoping that I could get good enough, fast enough to be useful. No, that's <laughs> and good. It was and it was really, uh, it really helped reset my expectations, right? Because up to this point, I was kind of like I was a you know a big fish in a small pond, right? I was it was kind of like I was showing off. I was the I was the 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 guy with the most impressive portfolio kind of thing. And then to, to jump into an active game studio and suddenly realize and, and, and see that I'm actually like barely, you know, barely qualified to be there and need to improve rapidly was like a, I don't know, that, that really helped align my, my expectations. I think yeah. going forward that like, you know, you have to. <laughs> Considering where you were at, at the time that you actually got in the door and that obviously you did have a long way to go, as, as I think everyone does when they first get that industry spot. Do you think it was that hunger that we've spoken about that might have, obviously it depends on how you've portrayed yourself in any conversations you had prior, but do you think it was that hunger, that, that focus that was maybe what got you the, the tick ahead of anyone else who might have been a candidate for, for that role? I mean, I think it definitely helped. Like I treated everything, like I remember like the, the art test they gave us, I treated as this, this is the most important thing I can never do kind of thing, like, you know, got to knock this out of the park kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I'm, I hope that, <laughs> I assume that helped. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it's, a. it's interesting because <laughs> I, I have some complex views about like, you know, uh, relationships with studios and like, uh, you know, the idea of being, it's one thing to be grateful for a, a job, but it's bad when the studio wants you to be grateful for your job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that. 
but yeah, but it was definitely like it's I a fine was, line. I wanted this, and I yeah, and I, I, um, yeah, and I think I I think I do did grow into the role rapidly. So I think I did like I didn't let anyone down there. No, <laughs> but they definitely took a chance on me, and I always appreciated that. No, that's 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 great to hear. Now that tenure, and I was I was kind of making little notes of starting dates and end dates. That was roughly roughly about eighteen months. Uh, the the tenure there before you moved over to team bondi which is which is a fascinating one um <laughs> how did that opportunity emerge um how like how did it come to be that you were leaving rat bag in the first place but then yeah how did the team bondi scenario emerge in the first place yeah so i chose to leave uh rat bag like a lot of uh people at rat bag chose to leave uh which was the studio getting shut down oh, um, was that <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't trigger on the yeah. date in my head yeah april and, uh, right? i spoke about this with steve fairly recently okay yeah good point yeah so um which was interesting because this is suddenly like obviously very very sad um but also like a lot of companies especially in australia coming in to like suck up employees so i when i started at uh team bondi it was with a lot of familiar faces <laughs> everyone else uh, in a whole- similar sort of position yeah, like a whole bunch, of, like people scattered to the wind. It was uh, it was an interesting time because it was, um, uh, yeah, a lot of people headed up to Queensland and some people went to Chrome, some people went to Pandemic. Um, a bunch of us went over to Sydney and, and, and uh, went to Team Bondi. Um, and other people headed overseas. Yeah, <laughs> some people went straight to Blizzard, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, and um, yeah, so like, uh, I yeah, I knew that Team Bondi, uh, Team Bondi were working on LA Noir. Um, I'd heard the horror stories about uh, the getaway. Um, I <laughs> was apprehensive about things, but uh, I remember in the interview, it seemed really impressive what they were trying to do and the scale they were trying to do. Um, and I, I had this assumption that um, they must have learned a lot from the previous pro- Rocky project. And so like, because they were trying to make something that was so similar in the sim- same similar space, like how how much must they have improved their processes to, to, to think they could tackle it now? Um, and then we, then, then some, eventually some stories started to come out. We don't, I don't know how much you do or don't want to wade into those, but eventually post, was it post launch or maybe even just briefly prior? I can't remember now. Um, but some stories started to come out about how, how things kind of played out over there. Now you admittedly weren't there till the end. I've got February, 2006 to, to May of 2007 as your, your window that you were there with team Bondi. Please obviously correct me if I'm wrong with that, but, um, yeah. You... Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I, I, I ended up, uh, needing to, needing to get out of there <laughs> for those um, sorts of reasons or, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like it was, um, so, so the interesting thing about team Bondi was the, the animation team, which I was on. Cause I was uh, at this point, I was, a uh, an animator. Um, actually we kind of, kind of like, <laughs> uh, I feel like there's some, some interesting backstory in Ratbag that like, um, that's almost worth covering. <laughs> Please feel uh, free. To, to make this... Yeah. So like I joined, I, I joined Ratbag to work on, uh, Dukes of Hazard Return of General Lee. Yeah, right. I remember that. Be- both being my first games credit and Ratbag's final game credit. <laughs> uh, and I joined the studio like i think two days before they went into alpha um so my beginning like my my first games experience was everything is on fire and shipping a game like i it was like we shipped the game like a few months later kind of thing and it was just it was it was terrifying right it was like being kind of dropped into this like meat grinder situation of 
of watching designs collapse and reality meet the the project and all this other stuff like um, and just expected to survive yeah yeah and it was extremely uh enlightening actually that like i got to see the end of the pro like normally like a lot of people you know might, might join a project when it's spinning up and they get to sp- get they get to sit through the the uh idyllic uh prototyping phase where everything's yeah. possible and instead i joined this project where everything was collapsing and had to ship uh one of my one of my duties as a as a junior um and i was i was terrified of this was they cut two levels because they got rid of the on on foot section stuff and they needed to paper over it with cutscenes. So we needed to take a bunch of in-game assets and stitch together the logic so that these missing levels no longer like, you know, were bridged by cutscene. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And this is the kind of stuff we were like doing at the last minute. It was you know, the game came out and I, I think it did fairly well or something, but in, in in the circles it was appreciated for. But um so, so that was a real trial, trial, trial by fire that kind of um, uh, helped me understand, think a lot about games. Um, and then from then on, like Ratbag was trying to pitch a bunch of different games. They they worked on they worked on some like some open world stuff that all got canned. And they were working on the Wheelman, um, which oh, okay. which, was, yep. which uh, shifted to the a UK studio to that and actually got finished for the next generation. But we were working on the PlayStation Two version, um, and that's what we we're working on right up until the studio closed. So going over to uh, L.A. Noir, it was interesting because I feel like I'd seen a lot of battles at Ratbag. Like it was a fairly short amount of time, but I'd experienced a lot of game development crushed into a very small... You were battle-hardened. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly battle-hardened for, for like my time in the industry. But um, So I joined, I joined the team as an animator, and the animation team was actually really good. I really liked my lead, and the rest yeah. you know, the animation team was uh, doing fun stuff. And it was like, I was doing a lot of cool stuff. Like L.A. Noir, you know, it, <laughs> I, have a, I have a complex relationship with it now as a game. But, um, you know, it's, as, a, as a subject matter and as, a, you know, the characters and the whole fedora wearing the detectives, um, it, it's, it's fun, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good stuff to animate in that. And, like I, and the stuff I was doing day to day was kind of fun. But around me, the project was a shambles. People were being run into the ground. Um, it was just like, so I felt personally isolated, but kind of crushed by the overall vibe of the studio. If that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. Um, and after a while, like people, pe- people were like leaving so rapidly. We had so much. There was so much turnover at the time. Um, like and senior people as well. Like everyone was just kind of jumping ship. And so uh, some of my friends had headed up to Queensland and were actually working at Pandemic, and they were kind of like, you should, you should you should maybe apply here kind of thing. So, um, yeah, eventually I was just like, nah, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, tried my, tried my luck. <laughs> as long as the thinking when you went up North wasn't what could possibly go wrong going to pandemic because obviously. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Queensland's a safe place. They have all these large studios. There's no way they could ever go down all, all around the same time. And then this uh, little thing called the global financial crisis <laughs> swept through and blew up the industry. Um, yeah. Among, yeah. So, not not ideal, but uh, I guess okay. So we, we've we've transitioned over to pandemic. There, what was that experience like for you? I've spoken to a few people that have been involved in pandemic over over the journey, and most most have had something to do with that end period. They've been they've been there towards the end of that time. Um, what was that like for you? Uh, so, yeah, so I, I like I overall I enjoyed my time at pandemic. Um, it was. Um, 
yeah we were we were on the we were on the uh, like i i uh you know at the time i joined they'd already they'd shipped um uh destroy all humans two a while yeah. back and um they were working on the the licensed game that they were <laughs> uh licensed superhero game um and That's right. I'm, uh, I'm aware of the one i won't name it but i'm aware of the one <laughs> uh and yeah i was i was in uh so i joined the uh company as a, the team as a uh, as an animator and um yeah did a lot of really fun npc stuff uh did a lot of parkour kind of animations for some of the, the yep. enemies that were, were like very active and could leap across rooftops and things um uh yeah like it was i enjoyed the team i liked what they were doing it was a disorganized team which was a which was a problem i remember I remember joining it and everyone seemed a little bit too chill. And because this is this is this is harking back to the rat bag stuff as well. Because at rat bag, I saw uh, at least I think two projects cancelled, um, you know, and 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 got to feel and and see one project ship and what it took to, to to ship that. And so joining joining this team, there were certain concerns where people seemed to be assuming everything was going to be okay and i'm looking at like the milestone deliveries and and i, th- I remember i remember looking at like because uh you could load up the different uh build deliveries that had gone out to the publisher yeah and, and and going back like they were being delivered every month or something i forget what it is and playing the different builds and like instead of advancing and getting it more advanced each time they felt like they were kind of just circling like they'd change there'd be new missions but they'd remove the previous missions and they'd add something right. new, but they took something else out. And there was this kind of feeling of like, where's the Ford's momentum? Where's the, where's the, where's it becoming a game? It's, it's just kind of, um, do you think ambling in that sense? And I guess it's only one perspective, but do you think like, obviously the, the financial crisis played a massive part in what happened to the, the studio anyway, but do you think if there'd been that forward momentum a little bit more, that there might've been a way potentially to to be able to ride this like in, in terms of I guess the, the big wigs on the corporate end um, that there might have been some way that they could justify protecting the studio if there was that forward momentum if there was that thrust considering it was a license that was being worked on a, a very prominent license that was that was uh, doing quite well for itself in that window of time uh, in other forms of media do you think yeah. that might have been there might have been that possibility or do you think the just the, the <laughs> crisis situation itself yeah, so it's 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 one of those like it's very difficult to speculate, especially from like lower down in the in the ranks. But my my general feeling, and I I, I believe this quite strongly because it's kind of almost like a uh, you know uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to that later. But um, like I think we didn't we weren't doing ourselves enough favors on the right. project. Like we could have. <laughs> uh it's it's more like um sorry i'm just kind of like collecting my thoughts here no, no that's all right not a problem at all uh, <laughs> there's a lot to wade through yeah yeah so I, it was generally acknowledged that we had taken on too big a project um right. and part of that was strategic because uh during this time ea acquired pandemic uh, and there was there was some business strategy stuff involving like having this project and promising certain deliveries 
that made the acquisition more desirable and all this stuff. So I know there was definitely some like pressure to like overpromise and then just deal with the outcome later kind of thing. Yeah, okay, right. I personally think we could have like if the project had had more forwards momentum, it would have been an easier sell to be like, "Hey, look, just keep us alive. Let us give us give us what it'll take, right? We're on track. We can do this, right?" Um but that's kind of my personal angle. I, I kind of, this came up again at Seeger as well. So like, um, you know, I, I have this attitude that like, from, from the way I see it, the most scary thing about a project is if it stalls and doesn't feel like it can make it to the end. Yeah, okay. If it's going to take longer than it said it would, you can just, you can budget that. That's a mass problem. You can, like a publisher can look at that and go like, can we afford to keep it alive versus yes no. the returns? And go, yeah, sure. The scariest thing is, how long is it going to take to finish this game? And you go like, don't know, <laughs> because yeah, that air of the unknown doesn't instill any confidence, right? does uh, it? Yeah. Um, so, so to me, to me, that was the, that was the kind of feeling that like maybe maybe things could have gone differently if the project had shown itself more on track. But it's complicated. There was a lot of things going on. I was just an animator, so I don't want to be like, I don't want to speak for <laughs> for where the project was in general. That was just no, my, my in-the-trenches viewpoint. But yeah. No, I, I can understand that. And obviously everyone does bring their various different uh, perspectives to this scenario based on where they were at the time and who they did and didn't talk to and all those sorts of little things along the way. So totally respect and understand how, uh, understand that completely. So, And it's a really fascinating insight. So from there, we've now got Sega, which um, obviously is... Uh, You've, you've got some thoughts on some stuff that happened there, fairly well documented online. I think, well, must be almost close. This says everything we need to know about the state of the pandemic the last uh, the last few years. I think that was almost close to 18 months ago. We're getting pretty, we're getting pretty yeah, close yeah. to that. But- Although before Sega, there was a detour to the short-lived uh, Brisbane uh, Tantalus. Um, oh, okay. I'm, I must have missed that one along the way. Okay, yeah, right. Let's, let's, let's discuss that. Uh, obviously, you did mention short-lived, but um, was... For for you, that was there was this desperate scramble. Like, I need to find a find a gig in a an industry that is floundering at the moment. Or did they did they approach you? How did that oh no no up? it was it was I, I was I was like I was desperate to to you know to do something kind of thing. And um, my housemate had actually like joined there as their like lead designer. Um, yeah. This, this small small startup like Satellite Studio because obviously they're based in Melbourne and they didn't want to expand in Melbourne anymore. They wanted to start like having a Satellite Studio. And um, uh, they were working on uh, Cars Racerama, which was this yep. uh, like uh, Cars spin-off game for DS and PSP. And the the Brisbane office was mostly working on the DS version, but also touching the PSP version a little bit. And I actually took a job there um, as QA. Okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, because they needed a, they needed a QA uh, QA person, and I was like, I, I you know I, I can do that. Like I I've got a good uh, um, uh, good eye for, for details and I'm pretty technical um, and um, so the funny thing though was when I started there they were like oh as it is we actually don't have enough animation time we've got like one animator down in Melbourne and they're totally flat out so what if right. we pay you as an animator for like you know a stretch of time and you can do all the, these Disney animations for our Cars licensed game and I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, obviously that's, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> like they weren't, you know, it's, they weren't trying to uh, screw me over by like doing like, you know, 
getting me to work for 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 QA rates or something like that. But it was like looking back on it, it's like, what exactly would you have done there with this project? How would you have shipped this project if you didn't happen to hire a QA guy that also happened to be able to animate your car rigs? But that would have been future pro. Uh, that's our future problem. <laughs> we'll resolve yeah, yeah. That uh, so I think it worked out well for us, and and I, I shipped um, uh, two games at at. Uh, oh right, okay. <laughs> Uh, there before before the the uh, global financial crisis finished it, finished it off. Um, basically, Tantalus was doing a lot of uh, license games, and nothing was coming up. Like it all, everything had just kind of stopped. Everyone, everyone they were working with were either pulling back projects that had already promised them, or just not pitching at all, anything at all. And Which so cut they, them off at the knees. Yeah, the work dried up, and basically they needed to protect the the Melbourne studio, you know, which made sense, and so they just wound up the the Brisbane one. Which is a shame because it was a, a fun, fun diversion. <laughs> so I guess with that, maybe, maybe before we now focus on Sega, which obviously a whole other can of worms that yeah we'll, we'll discuss shortly. Given everything that had gone on, given the state of the world at the time with the with the crisis, financial crisis, and those sorts of things, were you at any point? Because there's a lot of people if they, if they go through a few, have a few. Uh, I'm probably underselling it when I say bumps on bumps in the road but when when the, some of these sorts of things transpire through their professional careers they start to the question or oh, maybe I need to get out maybe I need to go do something else this is not working did you ever have that concern at any stage or was it this, this same laser focus we've discussed before <laughs> like I am going to find a way to succeed here if I have to go overseas I'll go overseas. was there any of that sort of thing that was going through your mind yeah so I think I think the I never question whether i would remain in games like i definitely like accepted the idea that i might like work in a parallel industry but it would only be in the sense of like you know like i could imagine working on say television shows or or, or kind of movie animations or something like that but you know my love is games still so like that was that that remained um i was definitely open to the idea of like having to move overseas if i needed to um uh yeah, and, the, and at the time there was like Sega and THQ were still both around in Brisbane, um, and that were my, my two kind of main <laughs> uh, your options yeah, considerations. Yeah, I actually knew people that worked at both. So like on uh, yes, yeah, I did. Um, so like uh, that helps. Uh, I think that's the other thing about like working in games is that once you have that industry like studio experience, it does get a lot easier to like put out feelers and. Uh, you do look like a much better candidate because yeah, anyone that who's networking works helps. in a studio is automatically like, you know, vetted in some ways. Like they've proven that they can kind of fit in. <laughs> yeah, or can't, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what... That's the experience what, does uh, count. Yeah, but that's what your references are for. <laughs> yeah, true. But, They're very true. So, so then there is Sega. Um, and you obviously just mentioned that you had people there that uh, potentially helped you to get in the door in terms of, yeah some of that networking and some of the work that you've done previously presumably helped in that in that regard we've referenced a lot of Sega titles at the beginning of the episode there we're talking about some of the some of the games you used to love as you were growing up what was that like for you initially getting in the door there and getting to work for a publisher who is attached to so many fond gaming memories that you had yeah so kind of kind of surreal um i mean because i joined to work on the uh london 20, 2012 olympics yep. uh, game the the, and to clarify, the one with the humans. Uh, yes. Yeah. Not not uh, Mario and Sonic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> the one they were contractually obligated to make, so they could make the one with Mario and Sonic. Um, we were doing important work, and uh, and that was kind of fun. There was like, 
um, yeah, I, I, I try to, I try, I always try to kind of take things on at face value. Like, you know, okay, I'm making a game about doing sports mini games. It's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this well. I'm going to make this good kind of thing. Um, obviously it felt very different to like, and, and when I joined, I think there was still technically the creative, there were, there were the creative assembly. Um, yep. and they got rebranded as Sega Studios Australia while I was there. So that was a, um, so there wasn't as strong a connection to the idea that like I was going to work for Sega. Although at, at one point I remember working on a prototype and actually animating um, a Sonic char- uh, character for, for, for something, an internal prototype that didn't go anywhere. And I had this, this kind of realization that like I'm working for Sega and animating Sonic, but also it kind of, it do, it, this is nothing like what I wanted as a child kind of thing. Like this feels very monkey right. poor style like <laughs> yeah, fair enough trying to trying to pitch this this prototype internally to, to do stuff and you know while, while while doing my day job and all this kind of stuff it was it was very uh yeah it, it was kind of like oh oh no i guess technically i i, I fulfilled the dream but this doesn't feel right this is all. not how this is not how this was supposed to happen yeah yeah uh and i think for the most part because like being an australian studio like we're so at arm's length of, from like everything the rest that of the you world, associate yeah. with like all the and at this point, like Sega had gone through so much reorganization that it was like a very different company from like, you know, all my favorite teams, all the, you know, like Smilebit and the AM2 and all this kind of stuff. They were, they were like either doing weird things or scattered to the winds, that kind of stuff. Like it, everything, everything felt a bit different, I guess. So there's that. Yeah, it makes sense. There's that kind of sadness. <laughs> no, that, 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 yeah, completely makes sense to me. Um, so through that time, Cast of Illusion. Was, was something you worked on. Uh, obviously, we referenced Disney before. You got to work on a Disney license there. What was what was that like as well? Yeah, so that was... <laughs> uh, yeah, so because after... Um, after uh, um, we shipped the Olympics, uh, the Olympics game, uh, there was this kind of weird limbo space where it's like we didn't have another project lined up internally as a studio. And um, one of the ones that kind of came down the line was that internally Sega was working on a Cast of Illusion uh, remake pitch kind of thing um, and um, so the studio was actually working on its own prototype and um, um, me and Sun decided to make our own prototype like as a as an alternative pitch yep. <laughs> and uh, kind of started building it in uh, you know originally my 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 like after hours kind of thing i'd be working like these long hours on olympics and then go home and and be you know coding up a platformer at home and yes not did mention uh, that a little bit like there was a lot of overnight sort of other little concepts that you were that you were both kicking around and with with others as well so that was that was quite fascinating from our previous chat and what was that like for you yeah in terms so of drain even in terms of sorry even some of the drain that can come from that working the full time plus then going again in the evening Oh yeah, it was intense. Like it was definitely at a point where um, I felt invulnerable. I felt like I felt like I was top of my game, and like I was, you know, I could, I could shoulder this stuff. Um, and you know, when I look back on this, I obviously have a lot of uh, regret about um, that feeling. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever been like a crunch advocate, yeah. <laughs> which some people find themselves being. Which, but. I definitely felt like there was something, you know, heroic about it, right? That you could kind of, you could pull this off. I can work all day and then bash out a prototype at night. I doesn't uh, everyone want to be back- the hero every now and then? Like there's, there's always a little bit of that. You want to be the, uh, 
the one that saves the day or yeah, I think everyone would like there's that hero fantasy I think that everyone kind of has in various different ways that if there's an yeah. opportunity to potentially actually succeed and do that and you've got the means then you try and do it yeah and like the the kind of ugly truth as well is that like when your project's in trouble and you work 14 hours it feels like you're helping it feels like you're doing something heroic it feels like you're doing something noble and i think that's always missing from when people discuss like crunch and talk about it and you know crunch is good crunch is bad and it's like no no no. it's like we can we can we can look at it and and say it's objectively bad from the outside but in the moment in the in the headspace it just feels like you're doing the right thing it feels like you're you're doing the the thing that heroes do in 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 fiction <laughs> yeah, especially if no one's actually standing there forcing you to do it you're just taking the initiative to go and do this yourself that it does it would feel really noble and yeah i mean as someone who's not actually in the development scene and again this is the third time for the episode sorry everyone the teacher thing like teachers don't work nine to five we work well beyond that like you do what you've got to do because that's the necessity of the job at the end of the day and and i don't know if i've never ever ever necessarily felt that heroic nobility sort of thing that we've discussed in that space doing those extra hours like well if i don't do this it's going to come back to bite me very soon or i'm going to have to hear from 20 kids whose tests i didn't mark when i when i roll in tomorrow like it's more of a necessity thing but it's it's got to be done sometimes and um as long as there's a degree of balance if you can either take control of that yourself or if you've got good management there then there's there's a a place for this stuff if it's controlled i suppose this has kind of been my perspective yeah yeah i I think good management what i ended up learning i think at, at the cost of myself was that like sometimes things you know some things stretch and sometimes if they stretch too much, uh, they don't go back. <laughs> yeah. And you can, uh, yeah, it's like sometimes you can uh, you can uh, spend more than you have. Uh, <laughs> Makes uh, sense. It's, uh, yeah, which sounds a bit uh, uh, heavy, but yeah. Um, no, but there's a, there's a toll for everything. There's a price for everything, whether it's yeah, yeah. mental well-being, physical well-being, financial, whatever it happens to be. Like there's always a price at the end of the day. And it's really interesting on, on games as well, on projects, and I think you see the same thing on movies. Um, you, you're shipping a, a work, something that's going to exist after you, right? There's, there's something, like, I think there's something different to, like, working in a, a kind of a service or something that's kind of ongoing where, you know, you might be going, okay, I need to do this and I'll keep everything running. But with a game, you can, you can ship something and then, and then stop and that game will go on and live without you and you and there's that feeling of like if i don't do everything i can to make it the the best game ever not it might either not exist at all or it might exist in some lesser form and that's a very potent kind of motivator i think like you can you can think about this being a great work that's gonna (laughs) you know and and then of course the reality is like the worst crunch is often done on some absolute dog shit games and (laughs) and it's like that's a weird thing to reconcile yourself with as well. It's like, wait, did I did I really do that for this game? Like, yeah, was that what my yeah. life was worth? Was it like, worth it? And that's, I think that's why that's why some of the most heated crunch debate comes out of like, you know, if you ship like Last of Us, you go like, hell yeah, I made this game that everybody is gonna love forever, kind of thing. And it's so much harder to kind of pull apart the emotions and go like, did we get abused making that? Was this bad? 
did we do something wrong? But we made something so so beloved, right? Like, it's 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 yeah. It might have been that life. person's dream project to be able to go and do it, despite despite the potentially insane extra hours that they might have done. There's yeah yeah. And so that that judgment that was it worth it? Did I was I taken advantage of? Whatever the case happens to be, that can almost differ from one person to the next, despite the fact they did the exact same amount of time. Yeah, and and no one and no one wants to like you know classify themselves as a, as like a victim after the fact like that's not a that's not a fun uh thought to to make and also you go like look i'm proud of what i made why would you yep. take that away from me why are you trying to rub rub <laughs> yeah anyway this got a little bit sidetracked but um uh yeah so the uh cast evolution so that was really interesting we uh my prototype like me, me and Snowden's prototype ended up being um very instrumental to the development of the game like it it, it kind of it wowed a lot of people internally it was really interesting and um yeah and then it kind of um i felt like the project was kind of getting bogged down with especially a lot of politics and things like that and they were like um at first everyone was extremely excited about what we'd contributed and over time that kind of like we we were we were designers on the project but we weren't running things like we were we were just on the design team um making levels <laughs> building stuff i was still programming stuff because we were, we were building the game in my unity prototype uh for the longest yeah, right, time okay. uh, eventually it moved across to the the studio's internal engine um but we they were basically building this engine in parallel so that it could import the unity scenes eventually um right so for the longest time i was writing the the characters and the controllers and all this stuff like i was i was developing the game but it was never going to be that game it was going to get transferred across this new engine um, and reworked so that a bit. A, that was a weird space to be in um, yeah i imagine i imagine it would be and obviously you know that's one of several different concepts that you and sonatan were working on at various different stages there and uh, from kind of recalling our conversation there, it sounds like there was quite a few that were that were thrown around and got to various different stages and states but obviously one that a lot of people know about and this is um where the the news of 2020 uh, i don't know the <laughs> whatever's happened in the last two two years or has it been 20 i don't know um golden axed and the resurfacing <laughs> of that s- seemingly out of nowhere i'm not sure did you ever have any insight into whether oh, like, i had I had no, had head no like, idea that, that, that this was going i think i think up? my my that my my twitter response started with like i woke up to discover this kind of thing and i did like, that yeah was, right I think I think I got a message on Discord, someone being like, "Hey, did you, did you know about this?" And I'm like, "What? What? Know about what?" So that just came out of nowhere, which was surprising. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a, and I I, I meant I think I, I mentioned online at the time, but it was a prototype that so Castle Illusion development had just started. Um, at the time, we were we had quite like uh, we were we were we were like the go-to prototype guys because we'd made this this Castle Illusion prototype that yep. had done well, and. Um, so we got asked, like, we need you to, to do this Golden Axe pitch. Um, and, you know, it's like a couple of weeks till E3. Can you get it done? And, um, and again, this is this invincibility feeling was like, at this point, I've been, I've been like flexing and it's been working, right? Like I've been pulling <laughs> so off So what could possibly go like, wrong? Yeah. And part of me, like one of the reasons was, is feeling like, you know, if this doesn't work out, I don't even feel responsible for it because it was a silly thing to ask. So like, yeah, I'll give it a go kind of thing. <laughs> um and yeah and it was and it was exciting to work on and you know and again Sega Golden Axe like this is a classic franchise that like you know 
um, me, me and Art both had a lot of kind of love for. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like, all right, let's 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 see what we can do with this. And it was, it was so interesting to approach because we knew we didn't have enough time to do it properly. So what we needed to do was kind of try to stab at the heart of it and try to pull something out of it that would hint that given enough time and given enough care, we could explore this properly. Like we needed to rapidly sketch out something. It's such an interesting that design tone piece. problem. That um, tone sorry, piece, that? I guess. That, that tone piece, I guess. You know, yeah. As you said, you're not going to be able to show off everything you can do, but you, if you can set the tone for what this what this game could be, then that might be enough given the, the amount of time you had. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and you know, it's worth a shot, right? Like, um, uh, Sega wanted, uh, like, Sega Studios Australia wanted a second project. Um, uh, yeah, and it's like, why not? Uh, we just had a huge downsizing because, like, going from Olympics to Cast of Illusion meant that the studio had gotten smaller. Yep. And so everyone was feeling a bit on edge, and it was like, you know, that was that was the other thing. I, I honestly felt like, like, if I could do something and this will help out, you know, <laughs> the people at the studio, like, of course I'd do that, right? Like, I felt like, like, why wouldn't I try? Yeah. Uh, and we did. And we, uh, <laughs> it went through a fairly... And obviously, because of because of the requirements, it meant that it was a pretty intense time, like working yeah. on that. Um, and it was and it was opt in. I I opted into that. It wasn't like I've never done I've never done like overtime and and crunch with someone threatening me and feeling like my job was on the line. Um, yeah. Because I've always my my we talk about like the laser focus. It's like my 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 uh, my desire to to deliver has always exceeded any kind of like bosses standing behind me going you got to do better or you'll get fired kind of thing it's like by the time that you want to fire me i've already failed <laughs> yeah right so, okay like, in, in your of, own eyes of, you've already failed yeah yeah. yeah a lot of internal drive basically like or if you don't want me to work here i don't want to work here kind of thing like that yeah again quite quite cocky but like you know i was i was i was very uh fired up at this point um yeah and so we delivered this prototype it was it went it went a little bit weird where like towards the end of it when when it was all pulling together and it was all on track and i was really happy with it like yes we've done this had this like bizarre meeting where the the higher-ups of the studio all got together and kind of shat on it um but in ways that didn't really make any sense it made me feel like they didn't understand the assignment that they didn't understand game development that was that was the scary thing like they're looking at this half-finished prototype that is the framework that i'm going to deliver like within days and of something that'll actually be pretty good i pulled up pulled off a miracle basically and they're looking at it going mm, it's not finished enough and it's like you make games for a living like this is literally your job you can't look at an, a part it's it's like imagine someone kind of a builder that comes to a bu- building lot and sees like the wooden frames of a house and goes like this house is terrible it doesn't have walls or windows you guys you guys are <laughs> yeah. terrible knock it down start over kind of thing it's like you're, you're that's what's you required to, to build the product you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, you should you should be familiar with this, right? Haven't you seen games before? Like, haven't you built a game? <laughs> I guess in the eyes, and this is now me just slipping the consumer hat on. Like through that period of time, I personally didn't have a massive amount of faith in the. I don't mean any individual developers or anything. I mean big picture. Like I wasn't feeling overly positive about about Sega and where things were at, and I feel like there was a. I don't. I don't want to misspeak here, but I feel, I feel like there was a growing con- level of concern there for what... Now, that's certainly started to rectify itself in recent years. They do, they do as a company, seem to be finding their feet and 
and seem to be on the on the right track. And Sonic's the one that people still have their ups and downs and concerns with. But I I, I wonder if what you experienced there maybe was reflective of that opinion that maybe they weren't a hundred percent in touch with what the developers were doing and what the community was looking for. Yeah, it's hard to know just because like this was obviously Sega Studios Australia. This was a yeah. like a you know, Australian studio branch of it. Like it's not it's uh, you know, and, and I had people when I when I was doing my my Twitter thread weren't wanting to read all kinds of things into about like bigger Sega culture and it's like I can't really say anything about that. I wasn't in any of the, the meetings with Yeah, you went privy to that. Um uh, one of the one of the UK guys I met seemed more switched on at, on it like fairly fairly switched on like he se- seemed to recognize the worth of the prototypes I thought but like that's very anecdotal I don't want to kind of wait too person. much into yeah yeah and it's 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 hard to say um, but uh, but yeah the but the 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 weird the weird meeting about the golden axe prototype really shook my confidence in working under people I guess yeah okay. <laughs> um, and it's it's like it kind of it made me really concerned about like because at this point i knew i was i knew i was delivering good work i knew i was doing something great and to not have it recognized by the higher ups was not just like feeling let down personally because it's like at this point i was like no I'm, I'm i'm i care about the studio i care about the project i care about like you know your piece yeah yeah I'm, I'm here as a team player kind of thing but it's like it's actually hurting the project if you don't have the support from above right like this is me kind of realizing that actually you know sometimes this this kind of respect or this understanding is is crucial like i can't yeah and it it made me made me really reflect on where my career was going and where i wanted it to go um and i I think i think i I mentioned like after this this meeting i I went home on time i just lay in my bed staring at the ceiling and, and and despairing about like they don't want this prototype they wanted it they wanted some video of like fighting a monster or something like there was a miscommunication i I make i make functional prototypes i make stuff you can play why did you like what did you expect i'm I'm doing what i was asked to do and what i do um and then i came back and i was like no like screw it there's no time to change tracks i can't deliver something else i'm just gonna polish it up and finish it as at off to the degree i can uh, and that did great. People loved it, and that's basically the version that went up on. It went out, uh, yeah, on Steam, yeah. Um, <laughs> I even went back and looked at it. Some like someone posted some footage to YouTube way back when it got leaked. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I went back and like compared it to the uh, the, the Steam build, and like uh, I think they changed Unity versions maybe, but like otherwise it was pretty much the like. Right, okay. Same. Uh, people were like, "Oh, maybe they fixed up this. Maybe it's like, no, nope, it's got the same, got the same weird little control bugs that my version had and stuff." And so slapped was... a D on the end of the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the biggest edit. So, was... oh, and I think they added a, a screen at the start, saying something about. Um... But anyway, not 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 getting into that too much. But um, now you yeah. obviously like that was that was quite some time ago, and then the news the news oh, so when it resurfaced, that was yeah again. I mean, it feels like forever ago, about eighteen months or there thereabouts. And you mentioned obviously there was there was a lengthy Twitter thread there that if people want to, if people haven't caught up with it, and we we did reference it when Snart and I spoke about it at the time as well. But if people haven't checked that out, please visit Tim's Twitter to go have a bit of a look at that. But now that you've had now that the dust has settled on that period as well and that initial reaction that you had, 
how's everything feel now? Does it does it still feel about the same in terms of uh, how that struck you and the reflections you had on that whole time, or is things a little bit different again? Um, I mean, it was interesting, right? Because like. <laughs> It's not like it really reopened wounds. It felt weird, and I felt like I needed to say something about it um, <laughs> because it, it felt got like picked up. it felt like letting it like letting it pass without comment just felt kind of sad. Like you know, this is something that I'd been sitting on for so long because it was just a cancelled prototype. You know, you, yeah. you don't talk about stuff that you worked on that didn't, didn't go out. And I just felt like I needed to address it. I wasn't in a position where I needed to worry about my career. Like I wasn't gonna like. You know, I'm not, I wasn't going to be asking um, Sega for a job next year or anything like that. So I, I felt I felt safe enough to do that, which which is a weird thing, right? Like when you see people speaking out and like pretty much on anything and you go like, ooh, there's, you're taking a risk there. And I hate that. I hate that that's, that like, you know, <laughs> even some fairly innocuous kind of stuff can, can jeopardize careers. So like... Oh, for sure. It's a very fickle fickle thing business at times yeah um but yeah i felt like it, it felt nice to get off my chest i think um obviously the reaction was a bit overwhelming i turned off uh, i turned off twitter notifications at that point um does it still pop up every now and then uh yeah yeah some every now and then but it's it's definitely slowed down um uh yeah that was a that was and it was kind of interesting to revisit that as well especially since it was like post releasing cactus as well like you know if it were, if it had come out like you know six months after making it there'd be a lot rawer but it's in it's in yep. the past it's there's no yeah like uh, i think some of the funniest things i saw was somebody somebody somewhere was saying that i was a, a sad and bitter developer or something like that and if oh. i if i hated sega so much i should go off and start my own studio and make my own games and it's kind of like are you, are you, you just, just are you just holding Drop the ball the for me link. there like what what is just, this just reply with the steam link yeah yeah thanks <laughs> check out cactus but um no it was, it was it was it was weird and like you know at least at least i'm in a place where i'm on the other side of that but um but it's 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 the golden axe is also super crucial because that and castle of illusion because both of them were very well received that really started off my thinking that like hey i'm I'm capable of so much more, right? And I worked yeah. on both of them with um, Snowden. So like, it was like, we, we we make, we can make stuff. Like I can- We're a good I team. Can, yeah. And like with a copy of Unity, I can like pull gameplay out of out of thin air and, and create something that excites international companies. Like that felt, that felt like magic. That felt like, like I was finally seeing this kind of proof that there was, you know- It's a rare skill. Yeah, that I had that 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 we could go further and we could you know we could do this stuff and coupled with the feeling of not being appreciated or not being valued um, enough made me think that like not only did not only was this a path I could take this was a path I had to take um, because the alternative was to continue putting myself at risk of of being like you know potentially <laughs> mistreated from above yeah, yeah. Um, so. There's a there's a brief period of time then between your departure from from Sega and then the the, the birth of the studio. Kicksize in the middle there. Mm. What was that to you? Was that basically a uh, like okay may, maybe we're, maybe we're gonna pursue and create our own studio? What eventually became Witchbeam, but 
we need something in the in the meantime here. Is that is that kind of where where you were at, or what was it, what was it about Kickside that kind of got got you in the door there for what was as I run the numbers in about about eight months thereabouts. <laughs> so um, so yeah, that was it. I'd say recuperation was the <laughs> the main way to describe that. Just one. getting your head back in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other way I would say is uh, so. I forget the exact order of events, but I'd received a performance review at Sega, um, and the performance reviews at Sega were one to five, with five being exceptional, um, you know, and it literally had stuff like, you had to do stuff outside of your job description and, and like, save the studio kind of thing. It was like, that actually sounds like a line by line description of what I did, but okay. And, and uh, I got a three. Um, And... Right. I was surprised by that. Um, I mentioned that I didn't think this was... Accurate? Uh, yeah, yeah, that I was surprised. And I was explained, no, no, you have to understand, like, three is a perfectly good score. That means you're doing fine. Um, and at this point, Kixai had been trying to poach me for a while because I knew some oh, people right, that okay. were working there. Uh, and so that made it really easy to be like... Oh, also, I think at this point, uh, Nart had got a interview at remedy um yes yeah he did he did mention yeah, that yeah yeah and so <laughs> so he he actually he actually flew over there to to have like you know final final round of interviews kind of thing and at this point i'm like well i'm not going to be i'm not going to be last one at sega kind of thing i'm out yeah sh- sure kicks i i'll come i'll come i'll come uh work on you in a space game um and uh yeah because like, at that point it's just like I know there, there was that feeling of like, what am I doing here, kind of thing, and yeah. the switch was great actually because it was I was working on Vega Conflict, which was like this space game that kind of followed in the the, the path of uh, Battle Pirates, which was Kickstarter's big game at the time, and I was doing tech art, um, which was fun because it kind of straddled my two disciplines. You know, I was kind of liaisoning with programmers, but also doing a lot of art stuff, and um, it sounds weird to say, but I had so much less investment in the project. I felt, per- I didn't feel particularly per- personally invested in this Facebook space game, which actually meant that I could work on it really effectively. I could come to work, bash out a whole bunch of cool stuff, add effects to ships, make stuff work, and then go home and not feel any sort of like, nagging feeling of i need to make this you know i need to prove myself that i did on 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 castle illusion for instance like you know i was thinking about the levels and how how you can make the game better all the time and how we could make sure the direction continued in a way that we thought was was the right way to go and on 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 vega conflict you know you come to work and like oh we're going to add this now it's like sure okay i'll just get it done like and i actually it's actually nice i i I really (laughs) uh nice change pace yeah, it was actually quite relaxing to work on that game, which is weird considering things. But um, yeah, in the uh, background, yeah. was there the the idea of which beam starting to form at that stage? Absolutely, yeah. Like yeah. there was definitely the the thought, and in in the end, the reason why I left uh, Kickside was because I worried that I was going to get a bit soft. Like I was, it was going to find it too comfortable and just kind of like yeah. sink into the role. And I was like, no, no, I think we should do the next thing. I think we should start studio and 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 kick off 
uh, cactus in in you know. And you had full, the idea of power. cactus ready to go as well. Yeah, yeah. It had it actually been a prototype. The prototype, the original prototype, actually predated Sega. I put it on oh, right, okay. hold when I joined Sega, um, but it was like it was my teaching myself unity project honestly like it was kind of <laughs> and the character itself uh she came from like 2003 she was like a uh, an old character i was drawing before i even got into games uh, right okay that's that's quite cool <laughs> yeah so like so that was all kind of coalescing as an idea and then yeah, i guess yeah. it helps then if you're looking to forge uh, forge your own studio but you've already got the id ready to go there's a there's a there's a proof of concept of sorts already good to go you don't have to spend okay we're a studio now now what are we gonna make <laughs> you don't have you don't have that yeah yeah there was like and like this was one of the reasons this is how i how i found um like the reason why i felt not was someone i wanted to work with and someone i'd want to found a company with was actually I, I dug up the prototype at some point and showed it to him and he critiqued it in a way that i really like most people were just like wow this is amazing and he had some kind of biting feedback on it that was correct and it was kind of like it was it was like oh straight through my heart but also you're right and it's that kind of insight which is actually what i value most about nuts design uh expertise it's like he's very good at like zero zeroing in on problems in games um i think and it's that's excellent of, yeah and, and something was, that I, I think he actually discussed a little bit when when he was on the show was that he felt like that was what he could really bring to to any any partnership that he was a part of that it was that kind of finer detail that side of things that critique that was perhaps his strength which was i guess fantastic here then and fantastic to hear that you feel the exact same way about him and the way he goes about and how valuable that is yeah yeah it's like i think there's a thing like design instincts uh, and i think it's something you build um yeah. but some people develop it quicker some people have a natural affinity for it kind of thing uh, i think it's one of those things that like you get from like playing and thinking about why you're playing and thinking about why why the game is making you feel the way it is at any given time and it's like it's a it's a feedback process um yeah. and when you get good at it it lets you predict things which i think is an essential uh skill like you should be able to look forwards to forward to how a system will play build it and then find something approximately what you imagined and if you do that it means that you can trust bigger designs or future designs and stuff it makes sense it's like a it's a feedback process though it's all about like like predict build assess realistically don't don't cheat and then build again kind of thing but yeah yeah no that, that's fascinating to hear what were some of the challenges you faced through the development there because obviously you, you did have these other structures around you at the various different um, employees you had previously, whether it was uh, Kixi or Sega or anyone else beforehand. There was always, I guess, there might have been a department for this and a department for that. And all of a sudden, you and a very, very small number of people are now shouldering all of that yourself. I'd imagine that would have brought some extra challenges that you'd obviously potentially not had some experience with up to that point. And perhaps still didn't necessarily have the skill set for at the time what, what was that like as you adjusted to some of those oh yeah that was that was really hard like like going from a studio where you're kind of protected and you have resources available to you to suddenly having to do everything yourself i i'm i was always like a vaguely cynical child so i i anticipated that this would be a pretty harsh change yeah, okay. and it still was extremely harsh like it's trying to shoulder all of those things trying to trying to run everything like 
you know, I worry about people that go from studios and think that they will just go indie and it will be the same and they will act the same. It's like I understood that we had to be, we had to go real lean immediately. Like we knew that we, we couldn't like, uh, we had yeah, we had to be kind of hungry and <laughs> and work really really smart because otherwise we're just gonna you know run out of resources before we could even ship anything. And yeah. so we kind of went in with that attitude, and it was still harder than we thought, um, just because you actually can't sit down and write out everything that will go wrong on a project because some of the things that will go wrong will come out of left field and, and it's discovery yeah and and you can't just write out a list of random things that could go wrong because that's that's random as well it doesn't doesn't help you so instead you can kind of build in contingency and just hope that you don't get sucked under the water basically um and yeah it was really it was really difficult like we i remember i printed out like 500 flyers that said we were going to ship cactus at the end of 2013 or something like that and i like oh, well they we handed out a few of them at an event and they got the rest of them going yeah. um and then i got some flyers that said we were coming out in 2014 so i would have hopefully less flyers at that point but um learned a lesson from the year prior <laughs> yeah it's just stop putting dates on things um <laughs> <laughs> not until it is actually coming out when you say it is yeah um, and yeah, we, 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 we went through a lot of, like we tried to work as smart as we could, but mo- both, uh, me and Nart basically ran down our savings entirely. Um, yep. uh, we were, we were saved by some platform deals that came along, you know, partway through development. Yep. We got a really, we got a, a really out there one, which was, we had a partnership with a, a Chinese company that was trying to launch okay. a micro console uh, in mainland China. And they wanted, um, some games for their, their Android based uh, competitor to the PlayStation Four. Uh, yeah, right. Well, it wasn't even familiar with that one because obviously, like, I've got the you know PC twenty fifteen PS Four. Uh, sorry, yeah, P, uh, PS Four. Then X. Uh, yeah, then Xbox twenty sixteen, Switch twenty seventeen. But I obviously, wasn't familiar with that one. Yeah, uh, I mean, I never saw it. So <laughs> fingers crossed, it went okay. I saw a screenshot of it with uh, Chinese characters on it at one point, so it, it existed in some form. But I, I know very little about it. Uh, <laughs> But it was that little bit of, I guess, financial that helped. Yeah, yeah, it was massively helpful to. at the time it was received. It kept us kind of going and stuff. Um, and it's so it's so weird, right? The the ups and downs and the, like we were hustling so hard as well. We were like, you know, we went to we we we, we went to GDC one year and we we got into the events. We were doing you know, <laughs> we did a show show at uh, in uh, in uh, Japan and we we're like sleeping on people's couches and stuff. Like it was it was very like. We just did what we could. Make we ends meet. Yeah, yeah. We traveled quite a lot. We tried to keep everything, like we divvied up who would go where. Like one time we got to show the game at E3, and uh, Jeff went over there and, and was, yep. um, was showing the game there. Uh, and it's like, yeah, it's just a. Um, we kind of just, and the interesting thing was the game took so much longer than we expected, but at the same time, nothing really went off the tracks. It's not like we we didn't have any horror stories where we realized. Two month, uh, like two years in, that we'd have to redo all the levels. We 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 actually worked from start of the game to end of the game pretty consistently, and everything kind of went design wise the way we expected it to. It was just that's great things happening in life, and just everything taking longer to to tune and make right than you think. Um, and sometimes I look back at it and like I've got a design doc from when we started the project, and it basically describes the game that we shipped. Like it, we didn't cut or add any major features it's it's pretty much as as we spec'd out 25 levels five boss battles um 
nice when it yeah. works out, right? Yeah, yeah. Mostly. But the thing Obviously, that shakes me about that those sort of things. is that like it kind of didn't work out because it took us way longer than we thought and it was way harder than we were predicting. And so it's like I look at it and go like, where did the time go? And I think the time just went into making the game good. And it shakes me a little bit because it's like, is that just the reality? Is that like that it's not possible to make it like if you want to make something that's actually stands like that is good and you feel captures what you think it should be that you actually just takes that kind of time commitment and that kind of energy cost like you can't cheat it with smart decisions it actually you have to sit there tuning numbers and and making things better day after day and now i've got uh now i've got unpacking as another data point this this shakes me a little and bit so more. how do you feel now is that do you feel much the same in that respect or because I could easily, I could easily see that perspective you emerge after after Cactus, but then of course you might sit back and this is me obviously speculating this point. But you go, but it was our first game, as as a as our own team and kind of taking full ownership that sort of thing. Like, come the second title, not knowing necessarily that it would be unpacking at the time, um, yeah, things will be different, or we'll be able to accelerate things here. We'll be able to bring what we've learnt from this to fast track some of these things that maybe bogged us down last time. Do you still feel? the same feelings now that you've put unpacking out there yeah that's what, that's 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 why i find it really interesting because obviously we went into unpacking going like well obviously we know we know better we will avoid things and we did we avoided so many pitfalls that we might have otherwise stumbled into we we benefited so much from not only connections we had uh, we could you know reach out to people and be a known quantity and uh, but also uh from knowing development realities like um uh, I, w- I was able to give Ren a lot of uh, tips about how I thought things were going to go based on, on Cactus. And honestly, I think that's really important because it's the, em- the emotions in indie development, I think, are intense. Uh, you're, you're, so, you're so vulnerable. Like in a studio, you can kind of take a day off and come back in and find the game's moved on by a day. And in indie yep. development, you take a day off and you come back in and it's exactly where you left it because it was you pushing the rock up the hill. And... Um, and it's lonely and it's and it's weird and it's isolating even if you're on a team and um so i went into unpacking eyes open knowing all of this stuff and knowing that i'm going to predict better i'm going to make better calls i'm going to do this right and we still sunk this huge amount of time into it and i look back on it and i don't again i don't see any mistakes i don't see any time where we like did the wrong thing and had to like rip it all up and change it over again we just it just took that long to, to put all the finishing touches on things. And there's not anything I look at and go like, oh, we wasted our time making that too detailed because everything we did, every detail we added has been something that someone's loved about the game. Yeah. It's elevated. Oh, for sure. There's, like, there's, there's a lot so to love resent about that. <laughs> I can't resent the small touches because they were all needed. They were, they were all, they're all part of what makes the game like kind of so well received. So is that where your head's at then now that like that, the time that it ta- like, that's just what it takes? Like that extra time, it's just what's required. It's it's definitely there, and it worries me a little bit because I don't want to commit to this idea of like every game takes you know three and a half years because that's that's a yeah. lot. Um, I wanna I wanna work smarter. I wanna I wanna figure out ways to like uh, build meaningful meaningful games more efficiently and uh, you know. Um, but at the same time, this experience is definitely like pointing to this idea that's like at some point you just have to pour the love into it, right? Like at some point there's just this commitment of of effort, and 
and I know and I wonder if it's escapable and I'd love to, I'd love to do like a kind of wide uh, wide analysis research project you know talking to other indies and try to you know pick at their brains to see if this kind of if there's a through line through other studios and like you know how did the how did the like how did the Holy Knight guys go with this kind of stuff like you know uh, <laughs> I mean, have, have you seen how long it's taken for Silk Song? Exactly. Clearly, they're experiencing the same thing right now. Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, I'm not putting in anyone who's over there. I'm not actually trying to mock or take or, or belittle in any way. Like, I have no doubt the game is going to be sensational. I personally very much looking forward to it. But there might be a bit of that, though. What we've just discussed the the time cost, it's the price yeah. you pay. Yeah, and so and it's something like like you know something I think the best indie games have over triple a for instance is triple a games wow you with their like their size and their their like the amount of content but they have that kind of they can often have that disjoint feeling like you know ubisoft is i think a poster child for it feeling like things stitch together like it's this yes. big big epic game but it also feels like a lot of little things just attached stapled <laughs> yeah i mean here's the bit that we've seen from far cry that's in all of these here's the assassin's creed bit that we see here like you can see those pieces of dna that as you said they're just kind of stapled on yeah and then and then meanwhile like the indie games that like really resonate with people often feel like these more kind of cohesive works and then it's like is the question is the only way to achieve that cohesion to put the just to put the the sweat in <laughs> yeah right like this is an open question i don't i don't know maybe maybe i'm doing it the hard way and maybe i'm missing missing stuff but it's like it's definitely something after cactus and after unpacking it's like it left it leaves me wondering um, it's a question i'll bake into every episode going forward on your behalf <laughs> uh any independent developer that i have on board what's what's the what's the trick is it time tell me is it time <laughs> i'll i'll put a bit more on it than that but uh, I'll, I'll help you in that endeavor. <laughs> so unpacking itself, we've obviously we've we, we focused quite heavily on on cactus there, touched on unpacking a little bit. But unpacking is obviously your most recent work. It has been an absolute phenomenon this year, certainly from my perspective. Anyway, I, I'd imagine I, I see Ren in particular on on Twitter quite regularly. Seems to be just basking in this this glow from uh, from the success and the acclaim and the celebration and the response. How are you feeling? at this point in time with the accolades that have come in and the success that the game has met? <laughs> honestly, honestly, it feels kind of unreal. I, I, I have this kind of, this, uh, like, almost like kind of waiting for for the shooter drop kind of thing. Like, um, because during development, I always thought I was making something beautiful, right? I, I thought I was making this game that, could have the potential to to like deeply affect people um which is a very arrogant thought to have to be honest but but like you're right (laughs) but yeah but you got you got to know your worth right like it's it's like i look at cactus and i still see it's you know i see i see it's worth i i'm very happy with how cactus was critically received um it was not a uh, a hit indie game in that sense it did well enough to keep um, a small group of people together and and, and yep. provide resources to make unpacking and you know that that's amazing and actually I never want to like I don't want to uh, downplay that because um, it's the indie market's really difficult and so the fact it's that fickle. Cactus was able to eventually through various deals long tail and various stuff allow that is is is, is significant um, 
but like the way Cactus was received was a little bit more like people liked it like it was it was well received and some people really liked it as well and I have this this kind of principle when I'm making games that I want to make a game that could be someone's favorite game of all time um, which isn't to mean that everyone's going to like it because that's very different to that right? but like a game that could be someone's literal favorite game that's a that's a it means your game has to have something either unique or done so well that someone can look at it and go like of all the games in this type I like I personally like this one this is my favorite and I think Cactus has that like I know some people will call it their favorite twin stick shooter and that makes my heart very yeah I mean I I adore it as a twin stick shooter again I was telling Snartin when he was on the show that like they when when the game first came out and I don't know if I was day one but I was within the first couple of weeks at the at the absolute most before I picked it up um and I think it was one of those, oh, shit, hang on, it's out. Right, okay, let's go, because I'd, I'd seen it, obviously, at PAX and those sorts of things previously. Um, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, um, we we played it consistently all the time. My best friend, that uh, from go, dating back from uh, from kindergarten, actually, like that we, we were still doing bits and pieces together, um, like the three of us would get in there, we'd pull, uh, who was my best man from my wedding, we'd, we'd come, and all four of us, we'd, play it constantly and we're just completely in love with it and yeah i stand by the fact that it's one of the best twin stick titles that i've that i've ever played to this date that's just my personal experience but when you said that i had to i had to quickly inject that in there Uh, yeah that's yeah and thank you very much for that yeah and it's like but it's 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 funny right because that's 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 the quality that i think is really good to have in games it doesn't mean that everyone has to love the game because you know some people are just gonna be like it's not my thing i'm not interested in genre yeah but like it needs to have the potential to be that, and um, you know. And I thought, I thought unpacking definitely had that as well. Like, you know, I don't work on games that I think are like half-assed. Um, I want to put my whole ass into it. Um, <laughs> but like, and I thought that unpacking had the potential to like really connect with people. And then the fact that it's connected so well and so deeply and so consistently is actually what surprised me. Like, the fact that so many reviews have said almost like what we wish they would say has surprised me. I expected more lukewarm responses. I expected like right. some people that would actually love the game and adore it and totally get what we were doing. And then I'd ex- I was expect, I was actually, honestly, I was expecting more of the kind of mainstream games journalism crowd to be all like, yeah, it's pretty good and clever, seven out of 10 kind of thing. Like I, I was expecting a little bit more and then and then we'd get people going like, oh my God, I love this game. You made the evangelist on one end, yeah. Kind of thing, yeah. And instead, the the uh, response has been actually really strong across the board. It's even like, especially from from like hardened uh, game reviewers and you know people who you don't necessarily expect to be as on board for like a, a narrative experience with no violence kind of thing. And I love that. Like this is everything I wanted. But also, it may, it leaves me feeling almost like vulnerable. Like it's kind of like, whoa, it's going. I don't want to say it's going too well because that sounds weird, but. I don't know. This is how I live my life. I'm always uh, on the lookout for <laughs> yeah, for, no, for danger. But uh, but but yeah. But but honestly, like I'm thrilled, and 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 it makes me really happy. And like Ren is loving it, and um, immersing herself in in people's feedback and responses and stuff. And and it's like yeah, and I'm really happy that that it's got it's we've actually managed to have this kind of communication with people and stuff. So I think that's yeah, a big thing absolutely. about games, right? Like you're having a narrative of someone. Like I make I make cactus. Cactus is my take on on what I think mechanically a good twin stick shooter is. 
and then that game has a dialogue with whoever plays it and then via that we're having a dialogue together because you know but <laughs> yeah no but that makes that makes a lot of sense for for you having come from cactus twin stick shooter very very different to what unpacking it was at the time and and is now was that a was that a hard pivot for you in terms of what what it was you were trying to create so i think i think for me like it was it was nice because it felt like um if you like if you think back to me studying art and freaking out and going to computer science there's a similar feeling of like wanting to explore different things and having mind twin stick and action so deeply and for, for for a number of years to pivot to something that's almost the opposite actually felt rewarding in its own way so like that didn't feel weird to me honestly like that just felt like i've got range i can do this kind of thing like and makes sense and then as a game designer i always think that like the most important thing to do is to commit to what you're making like and give the game that you're making what it needs yeah. so it stops being about what i personally want in a game and it starts becoming what does this game need to excel and be its strongest self um you, you just give it 100 percent you of yourself you, to yeah. to service the yeah the needs of the project that makes sense yeah. and obviously it's like I'm not going to make a game that I personally can't enjoy but I am going to reprogram myself a bit to be in the headspace of like who is this who is this game for and how can we better serve them is, is I think a, a natural way to develop games but yeah <laughs> yeah for sure and so obviously we've, we've touched on the accolades and success there and um, my, my one question as a as a person who is quite noted as being a bit of a PlayStation fanboy. Is there any chance it's going to be coming across? Because it's currently of the of the big platforms, quote-unquote. Um, it's the only one that the game's not on presently. Any chance it will be seeing that there in the future? Yeah, I mean, like, we, we're, like, we're still, look, we're still looking at options. Like, yep. the, the, the Xbox thing was kind of interesting. Like, we, we, we definitely want to make it for Switch. That was our, that was our kind of... Um, I mean, that, that was an obvious... Yeah. as an outsider the way you interface with that game makes a lot of sense yeah I enjoyed making the I enjoyed working on the the um, cactus switch port um, and uh, this one required a lot less frame optimization <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so that was nice um, and um, and then the 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 opportunity to do an Xbox version just kind of came up along the way so it's like it's definitely less it's less that we you know it's not like we looked at it and snubbed uh, PlayStation, but it's like more oh, I'm the sure Xbox there's more to it than that. Yeah, uh, you know, fell in there, um, but yeah, and it's like, and we also had the the luxury of doing a sim uh, simultaneous ship on three platforms, um, which uh, is a big challenge in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, and that was a, that was a first for me. Like you know, Cactus came out on PC, then PlayStation Four, then Xbox, then Switch, <laughs> with and then miscellaneous Chinese platforms as well. Yeah, yeah. Although I didn't have to like <laughs> physically master that one, so yeah, it's a bit easier. Um, and yeah, and there was like a year or two between each of those releases on on, on Cactus, so to to hit three platforms with unpacking was great. Um, but yeah, and so like I know it's a, it's the we're still we're still kind of figuring out kind of um, steps. No, but there's, there's no there's yeah there's nothing there's nothing preventing that basically. It's just uh, yeah. No, no, that all makes sense. It was mostly a tongue-in-cheek sort of question for me anyway. <laughs> another, uh, another one that's maybe half tongue-in-cheek, but my wife would slap me senseless if I didn't ask the question. 
Is there any chance that we'll be seeing a follow-up to Cactus? Uh, Cactus? <laughs> so me, me and Nat both really would love to do a, a cact, like a, a Cactus follow-up. Um, yep. I mean, Je- Jeff as well. I don't want to, don't want to downplay Jeff. He loves, he loves the game as much as it. Uh, as I mean, at some, at some point, I'll get Jeff on the show and I'll pick his brain about it too. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like I've had a like. It's interesting, like definitely after the release of Cactus, we knew that we couldn't do a Cactus 2. It wouldn't make any business sense. Uh, yeah. You know, um, the funny thing is like with unpacking doing very well, suddenly it does like there's potential. Yeah, it's indulgent, but like maybe we can we maybe we can be indulgent kind of thing. There's there's the, the option is definitely um, on the table again, which is nice. Um, Look, even if you don't actually develop it, that for me just you know chatting to you now hearing that like you've got that ability to do so which opens up obviously possibilities to a host of other things as well that's that's what i'm glad to hear is i'm glad to hear that the success of unpacking as well as being a fantastic game it also then gives you the the scope to explore your ideas a little bit whether it's whether whether it's a follow-up to cactus follow-up to unpacking what or something new entirely whatever it happens to be that fills me with happiness personally yeah it's like it's exciting because like as you may have inferred i have no um intention to do anything other than make games so it's like if you give me a bunch of money all i'm going to do is figure out how to make games with that that's that's what i want to (laughs) do so to me to me i see the success of unpacking is like hell yeah like more more witch beam stuff like we can we can do something and like um, the main thing is I want to make sure that like we don't do anything reckless and and uh, bite and, off too much. Yeah, yeah, and suddenly like commit to some major project that like takes us out because I've seen that happen before. Um, but it's it's yeah it's exci- it's exciting in that sense. Like the opportunities have increased. Uh, the the options that could happen are, are bigger now. Um, and like and yeah like I I have a lot of love for cactus. I'd love to do something either. A direct sequel or even something kind of set in the world kind of thing yeah okay. <laughs> but uh but yeah but it's also like there's a lot of ideas floating around at the moment and it's tricky to figure out what to do exactly um, that's right i can go back to my wife and say there's ideas bubbling around tim won't commit to anything yet but there's ideas yeah, yeah. bubbling around and i'm sure she'll be happy with that <laughs> <laughs> so as we start to wind things down we'll zero back in on you specifically is there anyone out there that you've worked with or that you look at from afar that really inspires you in the way you go about your work? Oh, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, and obviously, they don't even necessarily need to be someone within the game space as well. It could be someone external to that as well. That might just be a just the way they conduct themselves, what they've achieved. That might be this this inspiration for you. <laughs> I'm going to struggle to think of uh, specific names now and stuff. Uh, oh man, I like. <laughs> Sorry, my mind my mind's going a bit blank. Um, no, no, you're right. But like, um, um, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of people. <sighs> yeah, I I admire a lot of. Um, Oh, uh, he directed uh, Pan's Labyrinth and... Um, oh, um, uh, Del Toro. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I love his output. I love his approach to things kind of thing. This has been a... Um, I, remember, I remember reading an interview once where he talked about his, like, 
wanting to dig into like authentic folk, uh, like uh, fairy tales and I kind yep. of went down a bit of a rabbit hole reading about like uh, you know changelings and uh, Celtic myths and all this kind of stuff uh, and it's kind of and I love that approach right the idea of like wanting to do something magical but like dig back into like deeper sources and try to find uh, yeah um, that grittier edge that some of them have yeah and just because there's something there's something there that's compelling that isn't isn't in other work as well um, like I'm a big fan of like I'm not too proud to think that I'm like have original thoughts necessarily yep. that it's like everything's a remix and everything kind of I live in a society and I just process things and spit them back out again and hopefully I arrange them in pleasing ways um, <laughs> and it's like I think I think there's a dangerous path when you start thinking of yourself as like I'm a creator it's like no I'm a I'm a sculptor of, of existing things. I, I, I assemble <laughs> from, yeah. the, from the collective consciousness that we all exist in. Um, yeah, we see. And so it's like, it's really important to think about like where ideas come from, uh, what, what, where they're gonna go, gonna go that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to think of other, but like- No, no, but there's been a lot Del Toro is a fantastic choice anyway. <laughs> Um, what have been some of the most valuable lessons or experiences you've had over the journey, things that have really stuck with you and maybe maybe just always been in the back of the mind as you're continuing to work on project after project after project? So I remember one thing I learned was to stop, not be precious about um, showing my work early. Uh, I worked with an animator once, this is a pandemic actually, and um, lead animator, and I remember just having to lean into the thing of like, He'd come around and be like, how is this animation going? And I'm just showing him the most basic blocked out, half finished thing. And I realized it's kind of like, it's like jumping into a, a, a pool and realizing that you should like just let your limbs go out and accept it and, and warm up faster kind yeah. of thing. It's vulnerable, right? Like there's this, this going, going like, okay, here it is. And I have to trust, if I respect him as, a, as my lead, I have to trust that he understands what I'm showing him and then he's going to assess it correctly and give me feedback accordingly and he did and because he was a good animator and I respected him um and it was just like it was one of those things where I realized that like this is a as an artist you tend to want to keep your hand your arm over your sketches and not show anyone until it's done right but yeah. sometimes you just have to show them your most straight up like here it is I just blocked in a pose I haven't drawn it because that's the best time to put changes in right like that's the best time to adapt yeah. um and it kind of, and out of this grew this idea of like, um, the two things that screw things over is not like waiting to like changing things too early, like swerving, swerving before you should, like looking at a project and going, it's in trouble. We've got to, we've got to change everything when actually you just needed to keep, keep following the plan until it worked out. And the other thing is not changing quickly enough. Like when you realize that something is actually going off the rails, you have to make changes then and there there's no sense of like we'll wait we'll wait till the next milestone and then think about it it's like no if you've identified that there's a problem you actually have to fix do it. something about it and these are these are paradoxical right they're, they're, they're they oppose each other and that's that's kind of the yin and yang of it where it's like being open and honest about where you're at and this is why this is why i think not works so well with with me <laughs> is that like he's got that we, we had that um sense of honesty where he, you know he could call something out and i'd be like yeah that's it you're correct <laughs> thank good you. point let's do something about that <laughs> yeah and it's like that 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 lack of being precious about your stuff is super important i think so like the willingness to 
to like to look at something you just made and go it's wrong or uh, it's on track and and either stick with it or change it um, that's yeah no, I'm with you <laughs> no it's a, it's that's a really valuable one that I think transfers across many different professions it's not just a game development thing as well there's a there's a universal feature to that particular one. I think it's it's really really valuable. A couple of fun ones as we wrap things up. If you could be credited, sorry, if you could be credited for any game, so just add your name into the credits retroactively. <laughs> it can be as simple as special thanks if that's what you want as well. It doesn't have to be this big, profound sort of impact, but it could also be. I'd love to be responsible for this particular part of a particular game. What game would you love to have been in some way responsible for, or having worked on? Uh, just at radio. Oh yeah, okay. As and like it's just I just want to have been standing there in the corner waving. <laughs> yeah, just cheering them on. That'll that'll do. That's enough. That good choice. Uh, if you could go back and replay any game, so you get to strike it from your memory and get to re-experience this thing from scratch. Ooh. <laughs> um. Another tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few of them. Um, I'll allow multiple answers. Yeah. No, I think I think I think I think maybe like it's a recent one, but I I want to say Psychonauts too. Is, oh yeah, okay. Uh, that, I, still that one, I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's still much a playlist. I've got to get to that one. But uh, fantastic choice as well. Tim, thank you very much for coming on the show, sharing this journey so far. Congratulations on all the success. Um, over the over the past years but also most recently with unpacking it's been fantastic send my best to Ren as well I'm sure she's still <laughs> thoroughly enjoying the successes that, uh, that the game's experiencing it's been fantastic to see as an outsider thank you for coming on and sharing this journey so far but if people want to get in touch with you see what you are up to where would people be best to go um, so I'm probably most active on Twitter for some reason uh, which is my, my handle's ironic account um yeah, that's 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 kind of where where my my biggest web presence at the moment is. Um, Fantastic. So if you if you do want to hit uh, Tim up like I did about uh, Cactus Two or anything else, please just bombard him <laughs> there. I promise my wife won't send you a hundred tweets about it. <laughs> she just might create a hundred different accounts and do that. Um, <laughs> but no, th- as I said, thank you very much for coming on and sharing this journey so far. I think it's a hot day for both of us in our respective states right now, so I appreciate the time that you've given me. Um, I'm sure we'll both probably enjoy a a cold drink after this. Uh, But thank you very, very much for the time and sharing this journey so far. Thank you for having me on. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to in an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Tim's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.